0: It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Last week we looked at Biblical Perspective on Trial. That was our sermon title. And this week it's going to be again Biblical Perspective on Trial, part 2. And as we build up this passage, we need to remember that the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest. He's chained to Roman soldiers. And no one knew what would happen to him. Whether he would be released. Or whether he would be assassinated. The Ephesians were greatly concerned about this. And so he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 13. says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Paul wanted the Ephesians to have a biblical perspective as they were concerned over his trial and as their anxiety was building up. So he writes this magnum op- opus on the mystery of the gospel to encourage the Ephesians. Now you may wonder as to how does knowing about the mysteries of the gospel and thinking about God's eternal purpose help someone who is going through difficult trials and challenges that life throws at them. Now if that's your question this morning then give me your hearing and allow the Bible to speak to you today. We all go through trials. Every one of us is either entering a trial, in a trial, or coming out of a trial.
1: It may be you just discovered that you lost your job. Maybe you're losing your home. And you do not know where you're going to live. Maybe you're uncertain of your future. Maybe you're 50 years of age and you do not have a
0: 401k. You don't even know if you, your money is going to come from because you don't have a steady income.
1: You're wondering... How are you going to pay your bills? Or maybe you're grappling with some powerful temptation
0: and sins. Maybe maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your unsaved child. Maybe you're struggling with your marriage. Maybe it's rejection. And you're wondering how you're going to make it through all of this. And as you go through trials, Satan comes along. And you become anxious and you become
1: distressed. You become disappointed, you lose all hopes. Beloved,
0: I want to let you know that our response through our trials can either break us or make us strong. As we saw last week, it has to do with our perspective. Perspective is everything in life. It's, it's how you view it that matters. When a trial comes into your life, how you view it is the issue. It isn't the circumstances. It is how you react to your circumstances. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus reminds us. He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he goes on to give this classic illustration. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds, And yet, he says, your heavenly father feeds them. Then he goes on to say, are you not of more value than they? And and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And then he goes on to say, why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And, And he goes on to say, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You see what Jesus wanted the people to do? He wanted them to understand that when you
1: get anxious, look at the birds of the air.
0: And he goes on to tell them, are you not of more value than they? You see Jesus wants us to look up to the creation the not to the creation he wants us to look up to the God of creation who provides for his creation in the midst of our trials. He wants us to have a biblical perspective in the midst of our trials. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to do here. He is trying to give the Ephesians a biblical perspective in the midst of their trials. Last week, we said we can rejoice in the midst of our trials by remembering God's gift of salvation. That's true. As I shared in the Sunday school class today, which is more important, getting healed of cancer or getting salvation? And everyone echoed, being saved is the most important thing than getting healed of cancer. Which is more important, getting your house repossessed or being saved? For eternity you will all echo it's salvation and salvation alone and we said remembering God's gift of salvation and second we said by focusing on our privilege of serving God you see when our perspective in the midst of trials is god word we are able to rejoice in the midst of trials it has to be godward and this is why Psalm 121, the psalmist says, he says, I lifted my heel, eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? And you know what he says? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then he goes on to say, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither Slumber not sleep. And he goes on to say, Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It is looking up to God. It's having a biblical perspective in the midst of trials that we are able to have a clear understanding or see clearly when we go through trials in lives, in our lives. Today we will look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. And Paul tells the Ephesians that they need not faint or be troubled as we see in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 3. Due to their trials or due to Paul's trials on the contrary they should be focusing on their privileges. And we're going to look at four privileges that Paul establishes here. In chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. The privilege to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. The privilege to reflect the manifold wisdom of God. Born in verses 10 through 11. The privilege to enter God's presence in boldness and confidence. Verse 12. And the privilege to suffer for God's glory. Let's look at the first privilege that we see in verses 8 to 9. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. For created all things. Paul begins, verse 8. It says, To me, though I am the least of all the saints. He coins a verbiage here, which essentially means I'm less than the least. Shows us meekness. It shows us humility. He was aware about the sinfulness of his life that he said he's a chief. Of sinners. He had an honest view of himself.
1: He did not forget the hole of the pit out of which he was pulled out. This is what he said
0: in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9. He said, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he said, Jesus came to save the sinners, and he said, Of whom I am the foremost. As Paul preached the mysteries of Christ, he had a right view of his shortcomings, of his insufficiency. There was, there was nothing to brag about. Paul would never have become a Christian if he was left to his own. He was a nasty fire breathing christian hating god not god hating but christ hating because he thought he had a zeal for god he was christ hating he wouldn't have become a minister of the mystery of the gospel of christ it's the effectual working of god it was the power of god working in his life that made him a minister of the working of the power, of the mysteries of christ and then Paul goes on to say here that I, the very least of all the saints, he says, this grace was given to me to do what? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is a plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The word preached there in verse 8, is the word evangelizomai. Evangelizom. Not evangelizomai, changes the tense. Evangelizom means good news. He's preaching the good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word unsearchable here, in verse 8, means unfathomable. Profound. Someone compared it to tracking the confines of what someone thought to be a small lake. But he discovered as he was tracking it, that it was the arm of an ocean.
1: And he was confronted with the vast, immeasurable ocean. The riches here refers to true lasting spiritual riches.
0: Riches we have in Christ Jesus. Riches that are inexhaustible. Riches that can never fail. They can never diminish, be diminished. They are unfathomable. And Christ gives it to all who call upon Him. What are these unsearchable riches?
1: First Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 30 talks about
0: some riches here. It says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of whom? Because of Christ. Because of what he did for you. You are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God. We do not have wisdom without Christ. Unsaved people have knowledge. And the only way we can get wisdom is by being in Christ. Christ gives us wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to use the knowledge that you have for the glory of God. It's an unsearchable riches. Riches that you get when you are in Christ. Verse 30 goes on to say righteousness. We are sinful as we come into the presence of God. Job 9.2 says, how can a man be right before God? Yes, you and I are sinners. But when we go into the presence of God before a holy God, and we trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, He imputes you with His righteousness. That when He sees you, He doesn't see you as a wretched sinner. Instead, He sees Christ in you. That is what happens at salvation. That's righteousness that is being imputed to you. It's unsearchable unsearchable riches. And, And 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 goes on to say that you have sanctification. That means after you're justified, you still struggle with sin in your life. But here, the same God who justifies you is the same God who also sanctifies you positionally. That He gives you power over Sin. He defeats the power over sin. Because you are in Christ. And not only that, we see that as we go from day to day, we are being transformed into the image of His glory. We become Christ-like. And one day we will be like Him. That's glorification. But each and every day we are being progressively being sanctified. That's the unsearchable riches of Christ. First Corinthians 1.30 goes on to say, He's our redemption. You and I, before being saved, we belong to the land of darkness, to the domain of darkness. But Christ redeemed us, purchased us, just like a slave being purchased from the slave market of sin. He purchased us and He transferred us to the kingdom of His Son.
1: So we are redeemed. Unsearchable riches in Christ Jesus.
0: He's our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. There are other unsearchable riches we are loved by Jesus Christ. We have an eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about that. We have the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the
1: same power at work in you. Jesus said he gives us rest.
0: In Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 he said, Come unto me all who are
1: weary and I will give you rest. Jesus gives you rest. Jesus said, I'll give you peace. He said
0: in John chapter 14 verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. You see, all these are unsearchable riches in Christ Jesus. Yet in spite of it, we have people, we have people dabbling in the affairs of this world. They are finding their joy in the world and being satisfied in the things of the world. You you know why? Why do they do that? Why does your unsaved child find satisfaction in the affairs of the world? Why does he do that? I'm speaking to you. You know why? Because they do not understand the spiritual riches in Christ Jesus. They have never really discovered the spiritual riches
1: in Christ Jesus. You know why Moses refused to be called the Pharaoh's
0: daughter? I mean the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Because he esteemed the riches of Christ, a greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt. It's like you're being served a five-course meal with filet mignon. Stuffed. You can't eat anything more beyond that. And if you were to be given nachos, what would you do? Would you even try that? Why? Because you are so stuffed with great meal.
1: Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm speaking to you. Look at me.
0: You will never find satisfaction in the affairs of the world if
1: you find your satisfaction in the spiritual treasures in Christ Jesus. you know the reason young people are feasting out of trash cans today? Because they
0: have never feasted on the eternal riches in Christ Jesus. Let's come back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, not only do we have the privilege to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, we also have the privilege to bring to light For everyone, what is a plan of the mystery hidden for ages? To bring to light means to give light. It's like taking a flashlight and, and
1: pointing it to something. It's like causing light to shine upon an object. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. We can never
0: obtain this light from any other source. Jesus is the true light giver. You see, the apostle Paul, on his way to Damascus, received this light. The Lord opened his eyes. He was regenerated. And now Paul has this great privilege to make this light available, to shine this light to other people. You you and I can only point this light to other people. You can you and I can only make this light available to other people. The true light, John one nine says, the true light that gives light to the world was coming into the world. Christ is the true light giver. And the apostle Paul had this privilege. To shine the light of Jesus Christ. And the plan that God had for this world. The mystery hidden for ages. In God who created all things. And we have this amazing privilege as well. As evangelists. To proclaim the good news. You may not be a full time missionary. But you are all evangelists, you're all ambassadors for Christ Jesus. Wherever you may be working at Eisenhower, you may be working at a coffee store, you may be working at a regular school, but you are all ambassadors in Christ Jesus to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to point the light of the
1: mystery of the wisdom of God to others. And you've been given all these treasures to point people to the treasures of
0: Christ, to show people that find your joy and your satisfaction in Christ. Does that make sense? But if you yourselves have not really understood the unsearchable riches in Christ Jesus, how can
1: you... Show the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus to other people. Are you
0: thinking about the unsearchable riches in Christ Jesus? Or are you so consumed
1: with the difficult circumstances going on in your life? Maybe you are in a difficult, insurmountable situation.
0: And you're unhappy. You're miserable, maybe. Are you fretting? Are you disappointed? Are you at the point of giving up? Are you in despair? Or my beloved? Are you contemplating on the riches in Christ Jesus? Are you thrilled about them? Are you ecstatic about the riches in Christ Jesus? Are you enjoying Christ in the midst of your difficult circumstances? You see, you and I cannot be proclaiming the riches, unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus if we ourselves are not excited about that.
1: During the Great Depression, a man named Mr. Eates
0: Owned a huge piece of land in Texas where you raised sheep. Financial problems had him had had brought him to the brink of bankruptcy. Then an oil company, believing there might be oil on his land, asked for permission to drill. With nothing to lose, Mr. Yates agreed. Soon at the at a shallow death, the, death the, the workmen struck the largest oil deposit found at that time in North America. And overnight, Mr. Gates became a billionaire. The amazing thing though is that the untapped riches were there all along. Mr. Gates just didn't know about it. Are you a spiritual Mr. Gates, Unaware about the riches you already own in Christ. And what Apostle Paul is doing as he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he revealed the hidden treasures by preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. And my beloved, as you're seated here, I know many of you love the Lord. You are believers. And as believers, you and I should be knowing about the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, right? And you and I should be pointing to the world around us, the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. But then if you are consumed in the midst of your trials, and you don't have a biblical perspective, how could you point the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus?
1: Second, the Apostle Paul in verses 10 through 11 he
0: reminds us of the privilege of being reflectors of the manifold wisdom of God. That's where the second observation. We are reflectors of the manifold wisdom of God. We find that in verses 10 through 11. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose of, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. He begins with the phrase that it is through the church. The church is the new man, the new body, the body of Christ. And the mystery that Paul is unraveling is that no longer is there a Jew or a Gentile. The Jew and the Gentile, when they become believers, they become part of this new body, the church. It's a body of believers in which each and every believer is in vital union with Christ Jesus. You see, Christ is passionate about the body of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. You know what else Jesus said? Jesus said, not only will I build my church, I give my life for the
1: church. The church, my beloved is God's vision and verse 10 continues through the church the manifold
0: wisdom of God might now be made known the word manifold is the Greek word poikilos multicolored multifaceted Great variety of colors, many-sided. That's what it means, manifold. That means Paul is saying, the church is the medium through which the manifold wisdom of God becomes manifested. It's like, you've seen a prism. The church is like a prism through which the manifold wisdom of God goes through and it gets refracted. Just like light, when you see it, you can't see the colors of the light, but when it goes through the prism, it gets refracted, and you're able to see the different colors of light.
1: And chapter three, verse ten says, "The church is the manif-
0: display, is displaying the manifold wisdom of God.
1: It displays the saving gospel of Jesus Christ." How could a holy God
0: forgive sinful man and yet be a just God? It's impossible. How could God forgive unrighteous sinners? How could God, a holy God, redeem sinful man? How could a holy God die for the sins of an unrighteous person?
1: Mind-boggling. It's mind boggling. It was mind boggling to the angelic beings. The manifold wisdom of God is a church.
0: How could God take two groups
1: of people and make them one new man? Unthinkable. In the Old
0: Testament, anytime a Gentile became a believer, he had to first become a part of this Israelite community. But now here God is taking the Jew and he's taking the Gentile and he's bringing to an utter dependence on God by abasing them and by making them see that they are both sinners and that there is none righteous and making them one new man, the church. So the manifold wisdom of God is a saving gospel of Christ and is the fact that the church is now this new body. Let's keep going in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, and if you see in your Bibles, it says, might now be made known, means revealed to whom? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The rulers and authority in the heavenly places are the angelic beings. Some commentators say, well, they were only good angels. Some say they were bad angels. I think they are both good and bad angels. And what are they seeing? They're seeing the manifold wisdom of God reflected through the church. That means the angels of God are stooping down and as they look at you and me, they're looking at the Christian church and as they look intently at the Christian church, they see the manifold wisdom of God being displayed. Do you see that? It's great. It's a wonderful manifestation of the glory of God. I mean, these angels, think about this, have spent eternity in the presence of God. From the day they were created, obviously. And they have never seen anything like this before. We know this, because First Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says this. It says, it was revealed to them, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this, folks. It says, things into which the angels long to look. They long to look into the matter of salvation. The salvation of sinful human beings. The the fact that
1: the church is being uh, is an incredible miracle, the two people coming together as one new man. And Paul says, We are the display of
0: that. So put it in this one, one commentator said this: he said, "The church is god 's theater, and we as members are the actors. The author is the author, the director and the producer is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And
1: who's the audience The angels. Wow. Manifesting the wisdom of God. Are we reflectors of God's manifold wisdom? Is the light being reflected through you? Are we enhancing angelic praise today through the church? Everything that happens brings glory to God. The good angels are rejoicing. Because the Bible
0: says, anytime a sinner comes to repentance, there's rejoicing in heaven, right? There's also, even as the bad angels look at the
1: church, they're saying, wow. What jerks we are. We, 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 We abandoned all of that. And that brings glory to God. Folks,
0: the church is God's means to bring glory to God. It's God's vehicle for making His manifold wisdom known. What would the angels see when they look at the church? First, are they going to see God's manifold display? A wisdom, I mean, think about it. What does he see in our church? I'm sure he's rejoicing over our church because I see camaraderie, I see love, I see unity, I see hospitality, I see rejoicing. Uh, Anytime guests come into this church, they say, wow, your people are so friendly and so loving. Amazing. It brings glory to God.
1: But are there times that you're holding up grudge against one another? Are you bitter against one another? Is it bringing joy to the angels? Think about this: Is church priority for you in your lives? Or is church a nice place to drop on Sunday mornings if you're not doing anything more interesting? Are we reflecting the manifold wisdom of God? Are we prioritizing our life around the church? Are we here to serve the bride of Christ?
0: And if we are not prioritizing church,
1: then let me tell you folks, we are robbing from God's glory. This church is a place to serve. It's a house. Think about this moms. You cook a great meal.
0: And every time you cook a great meal, your children come, they sit at the table, they eat,
1: and they walk away. Is that normal behavior? And every time they come, eat, leave everything, and walk away. Acceptable? Folks, this is your house. You come here to worship God. You come here to
0: give. You give off your time, you give off your uh, your, your stewardship, you give off your time, you give off your finances, you give everything over to the Lord. Church is not a second part. It's what you look forward to every week, to come here Sunday morning. I know some of you live in another state, but you come here whenever you're here in town, and you're part and parcel of the fellowship. You're in small groups, you're in, involved in all ways. I know of someone here in this church who has talked to their boss and said, I need off on Sunday. I need off on Wednesday. Sunday is not enough for that person. He wants to be here even on Wednesdays.
1: He prioritizes his life around the church. And that's a privilege to be a display of the manifold wisdom of God. Let's move
0: on to the next privilege, beloved. And that's found in verses 12 and 13. To enter God's presence in boldness and confidence. It says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. I want to look at 12, we'll read 13, 13 is the next point, but 12 says we have boldness and access and confidence. Three important words, boldness, access and confidence. Boldness is the Greek word parousia, which means fearlessness, a freedom from all apprehension and doubts. You can come before God without fearing any rejection or penalty. The second word is the word access. That means you have freedom of approach to the Heavenly Father. Why? Because He has found favor with you. You stand before Him not based on your righteousness, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has already favored you. You're pleased in His sight because of what Christ has done for you. And so you have access to God's presence. You're able to enter into his presence at all times. You don't need appointments. The Bible says, call unto me and I will answer you. At all times. You know, we call people and and we are hoping, I'm hoping, come on, pick up, pick up. I want to really talk to you. And it goes to the voicemail. And then you leave a message, hoping that that person will get back to you. You've gone through those times. There's no such thing with God. You don't have to leave voicemails.
1: You can call him anytime. And he hears you. And the last word is the word confidence.
0: You have confidence as you go into his presence. Because of your newly found position in Christ. So, if you put all these words together, Paul is saying that as a result of what Christ has done for you, you have bold access into his presence with confidence. I want to turn you to two passages, that's all. Would you please turn with me? Keep your fingers in Ephesians. You need to keep it here because we'll come back to Ephesians. And with your other fingers, as it's an old joke, God gave you 10 figures to study the Bible. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, please. Verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, 14, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, you see that word? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Another passage I want you to turn with me to is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, 19. To twenty-two. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh, we have a great high priest. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Is faithful. Our great high priest has passed through the heavens. We do not need an appointment to come into his presence. We can come into his presence any
1: time. Why? Because of the shed blood of the Lamb. Folks, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't
0: matter in what stinking gutter you've lived. You can come into the presence of God because of the blood of the Lamb and the gates of heaven will be open for you as you put your trust and your confidence in Christ. You may say, well, pastor, I'm discouraged when I come into the presence of God. I feel beaten up. I feel I'm a total failure. I feel like I've disappointed him. Well, I want you to hear the gospel, and I want you to preach the gospel to yourselves every day. Yes, remind yourself that you're a sinner. Remind yourselves that you're a sinner, but God is holy, and I'm wretched. But God sent a son to die for me upon the cross. Christ came to earth. He died for me. He kept the law perfectly. And he goes to the cross. And he trades off my sin for his righteousness on the cross. The great exchange. That when I stand before God, what God sees in me is not my sin, but his righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you and I can go into the presence of God with His perfect righteousness imputed to us, when we sin, and we can look up to Him, and and, and remember, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive
1: you, and cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Are you listening to me? 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2
0: reads, My little children... I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible says He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for us only, but for the sins of the world. So you don't have to be anxious when you go into the presence of God. You can go into the presence of God. And that's what Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds,
1: what? In Christ Jesus. And as you pour out your praise, and you pour out your thanksgiving
0: before Him, In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of your circumstances, you can sing as the hymn writer sang, It is well, it is well with my soul.
1: Amen? Lastly, we have the privilege to suffer
0: for God's glory. And we see that in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Here, Paul is alluding to his suffering. He was in prison, he is on trial because he preached the mystery of the gospel, in which the Jew and the Gentile were brought together as one body. And Paul is encouraging the Ephesians here don't lose heart over my trials. And he's saying it in the present tense, interestingly. And when he's saying it in the present tense, this is what it implies. He says, I'm continually asking you. In fact, the tense is a little more demanding. It says, I'm continually asking you, I'm demanding you, read that again, not to lose heart. Do you see that? Not to lose heart. Meaning, don't be weary, don't become tired, don't give up. Don't think that all is lost. Don't be filled with despair. Don't become exhausted or faint-hearted. Don't make it a habitual pattern of your life to think like this. Yes, I'm in prison, but don't lose heart. And then Paul goes on to clarify the reason Paul is in prison. You see the reason Paul is in prison? I'm suffering for you. You know what that means? He's saying, I'm in prison because I preached the gospel to you. I would rather be in prison and preach the gospel to you and see you in eternity rather than living a free life. He was willing to go to prison for preaching the gospel so that he could see his fellow men saved.
1: He was willing to die for the church by preaching the gospel. And he wouldn't trade anything else in the world for the sake of the gospel. Paul is emphasizing the importance of the church here.
0: As he says, I'm ready to die for the gospel. Are you willing to suffer for the church? Are you willing to give up everything? For the sake of the church? You say, Pastor, I'm going through all these difficult times. but That's why I told you this. You may be going through trials, but in the midst of your trials, if you keep your perspective on the trials, it's all be hopeless, right? Speak to me. But in the midst of your trials, whatever be they, if you start focusing on God, and if you have a biblical perspective, then everything falls in place. even when persecution trials, the sufferings, we must not be discouraged because we must remember that we are the center of God's perfect will at all times. That's what Romans 8.18 says. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory that's waiting for us. You see, we all have trials in life. But as we live through it, the question is how you're responding to it. And I want to give an illustration in closing here. It's like flying in an aircraft. They're all flying. It's like flying in an aircraft. Um, we could either fly first class or you could fly economy. Now, I don't know if you've flown in a 747 and being an airline engineer, it's, it's amazing as you go into 747 and you go into the first class, and you go up by a stairway, and you go up to the top. It's a wonderful travel. You have a big recliner. There are there aren't many people. Sometimes it's just you and a few other passengers. And you have a bunch of cabin crew at your service, at your beck and call. And they serve you a seven course meal. And when you think one is over, the next comes. So you can even choose your menu and not just choose your menu at the end of it you have the liberty to make your own sunday ice cream sunday i mean think about this if you if you you could either travel first class at the end of it they pamper you with gifts it could range from silk ties to name it or you could be sitting in the economy class with your legs kneeled up on the seat with your chin on the knees covered up in one position, hoping that when the flight is over, you'll be able to stand up and stretch
1: yourself. There are a lot of folks, folks, beloved,
0: traveling to heaven in economy class. We will all have trials, but in the midst of your trials, you
1: could travel first class. Focusing on your privileges. Amen.
0: Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and thank you for this time that you give us your word. I pray that this word would go into the hearts and minds of people, that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that they will have hope in the midst of despair, that they will be able to focus on your privileges and glorify their Father in heaven and be on display for the world around them, what you've done for them in their lives through the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.